Hello, wonderful humans. Welcome back to the TFC Audio Project. On our second episode of Podiatry 2.0, Andy and I talk about the business of natural podiatry. Our goal for this conversation was to present the case for the financial viability of practicing natural podiatry as compared to conventional podiatry. Andy shares his transition story. We talk about new revenue opportunities available to podiatrists who make the transition. We talk about the alignment of interests between patients and practitioners. And we talk about the concept of replacing symptom treatment-based services with preventative education-based services. Really enjoyed the conversation with Andy, and I hope that whether you're a podiatrist looking to transition your practice or just someone having foot problems and want, who wants help, this conversation should provide some clarity and transparency uh, regarding the, the practice of natural podiatry and the potential that it holds compared to the current old conventional model of podiatry. This episode of the show is brought to you by TFC Shop, your one-stop online store for balance beams, natural footwear, and foot health accessories. If you visit tfc-shop.com, you can check out the growing selection of products that we offer that help you live a more natural life. This episode of the show is also brought to you by the Roasters Pack. If you're into coffee, this company offers great subscription, uh, a great subscription service that gets you fresh beans to your door each month and also gives you a little pamphlets with the story of each of the craft roasters that the beans come from. If you check out the roasterspack.com, use the code FOOT at checkout, you'll get seven bucks off your first month. Last but not least, this episode is sponsored by our travel partner, Nanook Protective Hard Cases. Uh, they make badass hard cases in Canada, and we use their products to transport equipment and electronics to events. Um, and yeah, they make some great products, really, really durable. We've tested them pretty hard. Um, sometimes luggage can get beaten up in transit, but these things protect uh, your goods if you've got cameras or electronics that you're bringing. If you check out nanook.com, you'll be able to check out what they offer, nanuk.com. That's it for sponsors, so let's dig into this episode. Hope you enjoy. It's the TFC Audio Project. Hello, wonderful beings. Welcome to our second episode of Podiatry 2.0. Today, Andy and I are going to discuss the business of natural podiatry. And our goal is to make the case that um, there exists a business model that aligns with restoring natural foot function. And it's a viable alternative for podiatrists looking to transition to a more to a practice centered around more the natural restoration of foot function. Um, if for those who don't know and didn't listen to our first episode, Andy, Andy is a foot nerd and a podiatrist from Melbourne, Australia. And we want to do a series of episodes discussing natural podiatry as we build up to our new project at the end of this year, uh, which is going to be to form a community of natural podiatrists looking to change the profession and bring it in. Uh, the more natural direction instead of applying orthotics all the time, uh, looking more for an education and restoration based approach. So Andy, thanks for taking the time this evening. I know you mentioned it was a busy week for you. So uh, yeah, thank you. We all appreciate it. Thanks for having me. No worries. So, so the business side of podiatry, this is, I think if you suggest a different way of, of sort of modeling a profession, the onus is on you to propose a viable business model because if you can't make it um, a viable business model, there's no point in talking about it. And so I think today is just all about breaking down how podiatry is currently done and how the business model is currently um, sort of organized, uh, you know, and what products and services it offers. And then basically, you know, talk about an alternative, um, which you've been gradually and sort of slowly, I guess, switching over over the past year. So I'd love to hear your story to start off with of just, you know, how has the transition been and 
you know, what major changes have you made? Obviously, slowly over time, because you can't just flick a switch and have the whole business be different. Um, but maybe start with, actually, why don't we just start with the way it's currently done, the business model podiatry is currently done with. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. There's private practice and then there's um, public practice. Public practice is not um, relatable for this um, conversation. So it's okay. private practice. Here in Australia, there are small practices where there might just be like one person renting out a room in a medical practice, or there okay. are big practices where there might be three, four, five, even more um, podiatrists working out of rooms. And then they might have multiple locations as well. And, you know, they're quite big, um, well-organized uh, businesses. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So um, I think nowadays there is uh, in the new upcoming podiatrists, a more tendency to not just rely on orthotic therapy, but I know in my realm of like uh, 40 plus year old podiatrists and traditional podiatry, um, orthotic therapy would be a cornerstone of the funds that mm -hmm. are coming into a podiatry practice. There are podiatry practices that are still, um, that are still uh, assessing their podiatrists on how many orthotics they prescribe, um, how, how often they get their clients coming back. Um, and and a, a and a physical dollar number on how each how much each patient is worth, you know. Mm. So I I think these big practices, especially, uh, have like a head podiatrist, and then they have a whole lot of younger ones that are working very hard on short consultation for, uh, short consultation times um, with uh, high performance needs in terms of monetary value to those consultations. And I'm not saying this is everyone, it's not podiatry across the board, but this is a, um, a very common situation. Yeah. Right. And I don't think, you know, we're not trying to have a go at any podiatrist. No. I think, I think we should almost say this at the start of every episode, because if we don't, it yeah. might seem like we are. Uh, we're simply, you know, I come from a background of physiotherapy and I have a you know, an obsession with understanding how do we help people reclaim their health, especially at the feet. That's kind of where we started. And you are a podiatrist and neither of us are telling people that they're doing things wrong or that they're, you know, we're not, we're not doing any of that. We're yeah. simply trying to say there's got to be a better way. And if the root cause of all these foot problems isn't even being talked about, let alone being addressed in a, in a, in a visit with a podiatrist, um, then there's a big gap that I think needs to be filled. And, um, and it makes sense that if they're training you in school to prescribe orthotics as a primary treatment tool and orthotics are, you know, people will pay for orthotics or their insurance companies will pay for orthotics. I know in Ottawa, so I live in Ottawa, Canada. Uh, it's a federal government town. Pretty, most federal government employees have pretty good benefits packages and they basically have about 500 bucks a year to spend on orthotics. Um, yeah. which is, I mean, that's a, that's a massive pool of resources that people are simply, you know, they probably feel it would be silly to not tap into those if they're available. Yeah. Um, the problem is, is, you know, as we'll kind of talk about when we dig into orthotics, we'll do orthotics really a deep dive in our last episode. Um, yeah. But, you know, when you look at the foot as a dynamic structure that adapts to what it's exposed to, orthotics aren't really the most sustainable option to restore foot function, right? They're kind of like a temporary solution. Um, so, okay, so, you know. It's similar it's, here, I'll just say it's similar here that they have private health insurers. You, you privately insure yourself, you don't get it through your work usually, and, um, but the private health insurers will pay every year or two a new, for a new pair of orthotics. Hmm. And, 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 only, and customized orthotics, le, less so, 
like more so than off-the-shelf orthotics. Like if we're going to be evidence-based and research-based, um, an off-the-shelf device can be customised to a, a um, to the level of a of a um, customised device, and it costs a fifth the price. Um, <laughs> and so even the insurance companies have kind of got it wrong, um, right. in, in that they are advocating for someone to be in an orthotic for a long period of time and get a new one regularly, which, right. as we know, is not um, how an orthotic should be used. Yeah, and I, you know, I think the strength of a community um, is quite potent because you get a lot of different brains contributing knowledge. You get a lot of strength knowing that there's numbers of people that are trying to work towards a similar aspiration um, as you. But you also start to have funds available to, for example, have a task force of people literally lobby insurance companies to say there's a better way, right? Yeah. And I think insurance companies, I mean, you got to, if you want to appeal to insurance companies, uh, you have to think like an insurance company. If you're an insurance company, what's your goal? Make money. Yeah. How do you do that? Collect more premiums than you pay out. And so, you know, if you go to an insurance company and say, listen, instead of funding X amount of $100 on orthotics, what if you help people buy a good pair of natural footwear, which is a fraction of the cost and actually solves the problem that orthotics are pretending to solve and yet are creating a worse problem by doing that. So it's like, you know, you just have to, you have to know what perspective to come from. But I, I really think that if you bring uh, a solid case to insurance companies and basically present the logic behind why paying for a pair of natural footwear is a significantly better investment for them and for the people that they're um, covering than a pair of custom orthotics, uh, you can make the case. You just need to equal the power that the current podiatry association has in, in that relationship, but it, it, it sort of comes in time. So primarily orthotics. Um, and then, you know, that would be a product, I guess, based category in the current, in the current model. And then what would be the service based offering, like services oh. that you would offer under the current paradigm? Yeah. So, I mean, a lot of practices, nearly all practices are based around um, the care of the foot in terms of um, nails, calluses, corns, you know, like that's the routine, the bread and butter of podiatry. It's right. looking after um, the, yeah, the, the things that go wrong with the feet on a day-to-day -day basis that people can't look after themselves for. And that, right. <laughs> that opens a whole kettle of, uh, a whole can of fish um, right. because can of worms, can of worms, yeah, sorry. There you go. <laughs> That's okay, you can make new ones up too. <laughs> um, because maybe we should be teaching people to look after themselves better in the first place. Maybe we shouldn't be wearing the shoes that cause the problems in the first place. Maybe right. we should be teaching people not to sit so much so that they can always look after their feet themselves. In, in a way, we're doing ourselves out of a job, but I would rather be the educator than the person on the end of the tools, you know? So, um, right. and obviously there are, with every scenario, there are different, um, there are exceptions, you know, like people with diabetes that have, you know, but that's that is a whole nother can of worms as well. Right. Um, you know, so uh, yeah, like we're just speaking very generally, generally speaking here, but the bread and butter of podiatry is the corns and calluses, nails and routine, what I call routine treatment. Yeah. Gotcha. And I think there's still, I mean, the whole concept of having a business model that puts yourself out of business is sort of this false flag because you know, in the physio practice that I um, ran with Mike here in Ottawa that we opened, we had that perspective, right? Our perspective was educate people, right? Teach them how to take care of themselves so that they didn't require your services. And in theory, that puts you out of business, right? Every patient that comes in, we're trying to get not come back in. Um, but the thing with that is that when someone believes that you can help them, they start to come in for different reasons. So someone comes in and says, I want to learn how to box. 
I want to get stronger. I want to add 50 pounds to my deadlift. And, and those are beautiful reasons for people to come into a physical therapist's office um, instead of just, oh, this hurts or this hurts. And the funny thing is, if you're effective and you have a good relationship with someone and you do one-on-one -on -one care for enough time that you can build rapport with them, they tell all their friends. Like, there's no shortage of people getting messed up. There's no shortage. There will not be a shortage of people who have foot problems from the footwear they wear. It's just a reality, right? There's simply not enough podiatrists to serve that market. Um, yeah. And so, you know, word of mouth goes around. And I think, you know, in, in this world that we live in right now where we're connected by technology and um, you know where I found that you can digitally connect with someone not not to the same extent uh, as in person and obviously you can't administer services where you're helping with corns callus and stuff like that but in a world where you can connect digitally and where the bulk of foot health actually comes through education uh, you can connect virtually with people which means your market is now the entire planet is not just your local area so I think there's different ways to reach people different ways to offer value that go significantly beyond just your local market that allow for a much broader perspective and also a much higher potential for revenue based on education services. Um, so let's hear about your story because uh, you know, you even mentioned like you're still pretty new at this. You're still going, I, I feel like you're always going to feel like you're in the transition. You're never going to feel like you've gotten there because there's always better ways of doing things and ways of refining, uh, you know, how you help people, but maybe give a little bit of a, a Maybe just tell a bit of a story of sort of the journey that you've gone through over the past two years where um, you may have been practicing more along the conventional lines. And now, you know, now I would imagine you practice quite differently and, and are continuing to do so. So, you know, what was what was that like? What were the friction points and uh, what's sort of the end result in terms of where you are right now and, and you know, how you feel about it? So um, I've been podiatry at podiatrist for 20 years and the first 15 were mainstream podiatry mm -hmm. um making our my own orthotics um you know there's a little bit of exercise prescription but half, you know we'd get people to stretch their calves which half the time is not even that good a thing to do um, <laughs> <laughs> you know and we might get you know it was um we'd refer on to a physio or something and i think podiatrists nowadays are more equipped with some exercise physiology stuff but still anyway for 15 years doing that and then um but I was always, I was never an over-prescriber of orthotics. I was pe having people refer to me. And I guess this is where I learned the power of um, a, a good referral source and word of mouth. People would come to me knowing that that wasn't what they were going to get just because mm. they came to a podiatrist. Yet um, there's still that feeling amongst the community that when you go to a podiatrist, you end up with orthotics, you know? Right. So I was never that podiatrist. Yet I did prescribe a lot of orthotics when I felt they were warranted. Um, I didn't know any better. So that happened. And then I just started doing less and less of it. It always made me feel uneasy. And I was always uh, very cautious and a bit scared of people coming back for their first review because I was worried about it not working. I maybe didn't understand why it was working or for something in me wasn't feeling right about it, you know? Right. Um, maybe I wasn't doing enough of the other stuff, but I didn't even know to do it. Um, and then I noticed my own feet getting a lot stronger through yoga and through training barefoot um, in the gym. Mm -hmm. And I'd been wearing orthotics for 20 years myself. Um, and so then I just, and I, I would wear them for everything. For ev like they were in my shoes all the time. And if I wasn't wearing orthotics, I was wearing Birkenstocks, which gives you an uh, uh, arch support as well. Mm -hmm. And so then with my own foot getting stronger, I just decided not to wear my orthotics, which I think, look back now and think, wow, that was a big <laughs> move, you know? Um, <laughs> true. Obviously I was pretty confident. And then um, that my feet were going to be okay. And so then it just started, the stuff that I was putting on myself 
I started infiltrating into my patients. And we talked about in the last episode, those, those models of care or those um, reasons why an orthotic works or the reasons why we try and take stress off something in the foot. And I was just finding ways to do it without using an orthotic. Instead of unloading mm-hmm. using an orthotic, I would unload by changing gait or by, um, like I hadn't really found minimal shoes at this point. Uh, I'd, I'd unload with exercises or with change of um, behaviours or change of exercise loads, you know, like, and mm-hmm. I think that's where most podiatry is at now, still using an orthotic in there as a sh- hopefully a short-term benefit, but they end up having people that use them for a long time and they're not really dissuading that because they pay for a new one every year or two. And mm-hmm. so, but they're still, they're doing all these changes of habits, change of load, exercise rehab. That's where podiatry is now with orthotics on top. And I think when you pr- provide a customized orthotic at six or $700 a pop, the client immediately goes, that's the thing that's going to work. Right. And it's far easier to rely on that than do these exercises or change my behavior, like sit on the floor or don't sit so much, or um, I want to still be able to run. So the orthotic still is the um, golden child, you know, and I was finding right. that because I was telling people, to do these other things, but then they were still really reliant on the orthotic. And I'd be like, but I've asked you to do these other things. And they're like, oh, but this is not working, you know? So if they weren't taking it all on board, it still wasn't being that successful. So then, you know, I found you guys, the, the Foot Collective, and asked you, how do, how do I bring this into my practice on the day-to-day? Because it's just such a foreign concept yeah. um, to be an educator. But then I think I was also in a practice in a partnership where orthotic therapy was a big part of it. Mm-hmm. and um, my business partner didn't want to know any other way. Right. Um, and, and I think that's a lot of what podiatrists uh, are like. They don't want to know another way. They don't want to, um, it works to a certain extent and it provides an income. And so knowing another way is, um, is like, it's superfluous. It's not necessary. And so he didn't want to know another way. And I was getting uneasy in, in business for other reasons. And so I just decided without knowing Um, that I was going to create this new model of care. Like I was already doing this different model of care, but I just decided to leave the partnership. So that was at the start of this year. I was already doing like, maybe I only prescribed two orthotics in the last two years, as opposed to two a week, you know, or. Right, right. And and some podiatrists were prescribing two a day or more. So I wasn't an overprescriber. Um, And then that, um, so then as of January, I've been by myself and it feels like I don't have to worry about, um, prescribing orthotics at all. So I, ha- I think I prescribed one this year for a, for a tip post issue because the foot was really dysfunctional mm-hmm. and it was with a plan to get out and I've become an educator, you know, like See, that's I, huge. It was with a plan to get out. That is because yeah. I, I think people automatically think that we are against orthotics, but we're not. I just want to really make sure, you know, when I have a conversation with someone about whether an orthotics appropriate, it's like, I mean, mind you, I'm not a podiatrist, so I don't have a background in prescribing orthotics, but I am. If I, I do have a deep understanding of the physiology of the body and how it adapts. So I always just try and make sure like, okay, well, why is this being done? Is this the best option? Are there other options or is this the best option? And what is the, what is the exit plan? Because the exit strategy, if it's there, makes it so that the orthotic is probably is, becomes a much better tool to use when you have an exit strategy. So I love that you threw that in because that is, I think, the most important part. Um, and you know, like we can almost in our last episode of orthotics, I want to basically, one of the things I want to talk about is 
let's go through scenarios where orthotics are appropriate and needed yeah. because I think there's actually not going to be that many. And okay. you know, I'd rather, I'd rather be on the side of, okay, well, when is an orthotic good? Instead of saying, Oh, orthotics aren't good for this, this, and this, it's like, when is it actually good? Cause then you can by default assume for all the other things, it's probably not the best alternative. Um, yeah. Sorry to interrupt there. Keep going. So if someone's going to hit you up for a six or $700 orthotic, um, you've got to sell that to the client. You've got to explain why they need it. And right. in doing that, you're, um, it takes away from the, the way the foot, explaining how the foot's going to function naturally. So they can't, they can't, those two can't meet, I've worked out. They can't meet unless, and so I'll only prescribe them when there is an acute need for them now. And um, if I'm educating someone correctly as to how the foot should function properly, then it doesn't even come into the conversation. It's more about taking things away. And so now I'm very busy because people through word of mouth um, and through a good referral base as well, like this way of working is not dissimilar to a myotherapist or an osteopath um, in that they are trying to regain normal natural function. And they have different ways of doing it, but and they're not foot experts. So when they find someone like me that is um, working in their way, um, mm -hmm. you know, trying to return natural foot function, then they're more likely to refer. So I have a great referral base, bigger than I've ever had now, because um, there aren't many of uh, podiatrists doing it to start with, and right. um, other other these referral sources know that if they send to another podiatrist, that patient's going to get an orthotic, and and. And, and that's um, probably not a, a satisfactory outcome for the, for the osteopath or the myotherapist either. Right. That's it. And I think the other part of why I'm busy now or why business is good um, or I'm, you know, I've replaced that style of business with this style of business is that there is a, a need in today's world for an accountability to, um, to what you're doing. And people want to be accountable to themselves as well. They want to take responsibility for their own health and they don't want to rely upon an orthotic or, or a podiatrist or a health practitioner to provide that need. And so this way of working is not for every client because, you know, like I had someone ring today who said, my son needs an orthotic. And so I questioned her over the phone as to why she thinks her son needs an orthotic. And it's not um, worth my time telling her otherwise. Um, if she's just going to go and see another podiatrist that's going to give her orthotic anyway, you know? Right. So, so, and so it's not for everyone, but, um, and you wonder a, how that got in her brain. Cause like, I guarantee you that someone yeah. with a degree told her, her son needed an orthotic and she trusts that person. And yeah. so she thinks that that's the way. And she like, it's just, I, I find it hilarious when patients tell you what they need. It's yeah. like, why are you coming to see me then? Like, why, like what, what is my job? <laughs> I screen all my patients now. I'm the one that answers the phone or I just get back to them at the end of the day and I yep. screen them as to what their attitude is to the way they're coming to see me because um, I, if, I ask them to have an open attitude because most people come to a podiatrist without an open attitude hmm. and they expect that I'll give them an orthotic and when they have that expectation and they don't get it, there can be a level of disappointment. Yep. Um, and so I screen all my clients in that way as well. So it's been transformative and I would never have known leaving that practice that I've been in for 19 years would have opened up all these doors and all these opportunities just to practice as I, as I um, truly want to in my heart, you know, like I feel good about going to work. There's no second guessing what I'm doing. It's just, I'm educating people to better foot function. And right. that's, the the paycheck doesn't even matter at the end except that you have to support your family and whatever but yep. um like the altruistic view of feeling good about doing what you 
work you're doing. And I'm not suggesting other podiatrists that are prescribing a lot of orthotics don't think that they're doing the right thing. Right. But um, for me, that wasn't the way. And I think um, there are probably a lot of other podiatrists out there that probably felt similarly to the way I, do, I did. Yeah. Yeah. Cause the goal is meaningful work, right? It's work that you can go to find meaning in, make enough money to support your family and achieve your financial aspirations. Um, you know, if you like, if you want to get lucrative and just make it get filthy rich, natural podiatry is probably not the way to go. Yeah. <laughs> um, but if you want to have meaningful work that you can feel good going to work, feel good about what you're doing, develop good, meaningful relationships with your patients and really help them take back responsibility. Cause you know, one thing you said when you talk about orthotics is like the more you're selling them on that six, $700 orthotic, the, the, the more you're bringing them away from personal responsibility and dependence, right? You're, yeah. you're basically, you're selling a dependent tool to them yeah. at the expense of removing away their personal responsibility. Whereas natural podiatry really is all about taking back personal responsibility and getting away from dependent relationships on things on getting away from dependent relationships on practitioners that, that need to be your savior. It's like you need to, adults need to take care of themselves. The problem is we have an, an innately disempowering medical system where when you go to your doctor, your doctor takes responsibility for your health. Your physio does your podiatrist when in reality they should be there to guide you, right? Not to take responsibility because guess what? It doesn't matter how good they're guiding you. If you don't take responsibility for your health and you're with your body every day, it's probably not going to work out very well in the long term. And so I really, I think that's very powerful because, and it feels good. Like people know, people can feel it, right? When they feel you care about them and when they feel you have their best interests in mind and your goal is to give them back control and the ability to change and think differently about their bodies. Um, I mean, just the fact that you talk about hip function and sitting on the floor and getting out of the chair, like that is such a huge part of foot function, but literally just gets cut off when you take an isolation based approach to the foot where you're not even looking up the chain, not looking at, you know, you're looking at a component, you're not looking at the system. And I think one of the manifesto elements in the natural podiatry community should be, we look at the body as a system, not an isolated, uh, not just in isolation. And I think that's very powerful because it expands what's necessary to understand um, in order to truly help someone, but it also gives you a much more robust tool belt to, to help people with, right? Where even the podiatrist can be the person to help someone understand, you know, like even just the basics of sleep, anything, any of the five pillars, a podiatrist should have, in my opinion, any health professional should have a very base understanding of the five pillars of health and just minimal things that people should, should know that they're not being told. And obviously the, the focus is the foot and the issue they're coming in with. But when you develop a rapport and a relationship with a patient, um, you then, it, I think service offering starts to take a much bigger place instead of the product. So instead of spending $600 on an orthotic, they might come see you for six one hour visits at a hundred bucks a pop and get so much information over a longer period of time about how to take care of themselves, including their feet, but also working up the chain. I think there's yeah. something very powerful with that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So were there growing pains? Like I'm sure, you know, it, it probably wasn't all sunshine and rainbows. There was probably right. some hardships initially when you kind of, you know, 19 years is a long ass partnership, right? Yeah. Um, and so, you know, there's what were, the pardon? There's obviously the pain of breaking up of a partnership and, right. and the whole rigmarole around that. But um, there's still, uh, I'm still refining how I treat and learning right. new stuff all the time, constantly learning better ways to do things, better ways to explain things. I'm picking my mark as to how to explain it to one person compared to the other because 
after 19 or oh, 15 years of saying the same thing, you get really good at saying it. And when I first started, I had a guy that had been in the practice for like 40 years in the room next door. And I learned how to, to say the, the things. And now I've had to come up, <laughs> right. you know, you know, so yeah. I've had to come up with new ways of saying things or maybe it's not new ways of saying things. It's a new re- different reasons as to why I'm explaining this mm. type of function, you know? Yeah, that's a great point. It blows, and, it blows me away that um, some people have been to other podiatrists and they haven't been explained anything about foot function. It's just, um, and, and I mean, that's, it might be just what they're telling me and they might've been explained it and they forget, but really education is key because when people are empowered with the knowledge of what their foot should be doing and what their body should be doing, um, that's when, when real change happens, you know, but definitely there are still changes I'm making. Like today I'm making changes for tomorrow, like um, refining it, um, trying to work out how I can do it more efficiently. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't, um, you know, you could have these big practices that have like 20 podiatrists working for them using the same model. Like it's not like it's, um, it can, it only has to be a single man practice, you know, it could easily right. be something that could be spread across multiple platforms. As long as you had um, podiatrists that are on the same wavelength. Yeah. Well, yeah. And like, okay. So if I, I think there's something very powerful about having multiple professionals trying out and cause it sounds like your practice is just way more nimble now, right? Like you can implement changes tomorrow and experiment yeah. and be like, I'm going to try this and see how it works. Yes. Whereas like, yeah. like you're not shackled by the constraints of I need to sell yeah. orthotics or I need to practice yeah. within this time period. And yeah. you know, if you had a practice with 20 podiatrists and everyone was on board, think of yeah. how much innovation would happen where one, you know, you have a huddle once a week, one podiatrist is like, Hey, I explained this in this way and it resonated yeah. immensely. Then everyone does that. Like that is really how you, how you elevate the level of innovation and the speed of innovation. Um, yeah. You know, I think the, when I think about, cause I, I, I've been trying to think about um, the business of natural podiatry on a bunch of my walks this week. And I was like, what is the, you know, barring all constraints, what is the best, what is the optimal way to have a podiatry practice? And in my brain, it was, there's a building, the front of the building is footwear sales. And the back of the building is a place where five podiatrists can each have their own space. There's a big movement space. And it's basically a podiatry practice slash footwear store slash personal training slash rehab facility. You know, like it's, it it almost doesn't have a name because there's so many different facets of what could be done there. Um, And, you know, why not? Like, I just think footwear is too important to give away to retailers who oftentimes aren't the best people to let you know what footwear you should be getting. And number two, they simply don't have the understanding of the mechanics of the foot to really give someone good advice when it comes to footwear. So it's, it's too important to give away to the retailers. And I really feel that, you know, if we look at the, the business model of podiatry as having products and services, the previous yeah. products are orthotics primarily, the services are, you know, reactionary treatment things to basically treat shoeitis, right? Yeah. Um, and and I, th- I feel that natural podiatry, the biggest thing that takes away, uh, that replaces the orthotics in terms of a product is natural footwear. And yeah. I always remembered you being hesitant to recommend or sell footwear. And uh, it's just because you're a really nice guy and it probably felt weird to sell a product. Um, yeah. And, but I, I, I really think, because here's the thing. If you understand natural foot function and you're selling Birkenstocks, that's a, that's a conflict of interest, right? The end of what you're trying to do is not aligning with the kind of footwear you're selling. But if you remove the conflict of interest and you provide better footwear with better access with, for better prices, 
then, and, and that aligns with natural flow function, then you're removing any, you're actually aligning interests to the point where you're, you're offering a better service because it's end to end instead of saying, yeah, go to this footwear store and, and buy the shoes there. And that might be a good footwear store with natural footwear, but bringing that inside of a podiatry practice, knowing how important footwear is for foot function. I mean, you're basically treating their feet every step they take in natural footwear, right? Yeah. And I, I just think that that could be a, a, a very viable product alternative. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, and the bigger, there's a couple of the bigger practices here in um, Melbourne that own the shoe store that don't sell minimal shoes. They sell, <laughs> right, you know, and, and they own the orthotic lab as well. So hmm. if there's a conflict of interest, it's it's that like you know right. and then they have podiatry students um working in the shoe store watching someone on a treadmill doing a gait analysis saying you need this shoe um right. you know so this is the model that we're that we're looking at um that they, that they are you know that they're they're well, working on yeah. whereas um definitely now that i'm selling shoes i and i did it after talking to you and um when I moved away from practice, it was very close to a shoe store that sold, sold minimalist shoes. And it wasn't hmm. going to be easy for my clients that I saw to go to that shoe store. There was right. another, there's another shoe store that's close to one of my other um, locations, but I went in there and their knowledge of the footwear was terrible. So I can't justify sending my clients there because yep. it, it was not going to be helpful. So one, it was too far to go to a good store and two, the store that was close wasn't very good at um, explaining things. And so now I'm still, hesitant to uh to say oh i sell this shoe as well because like if i've just spent an hour explaining why someone needs to go to a minimal shoe um and then i go oh and here's this here's the shoe mm-hmm. uh, i still find oh like does that sound like i'm just trying to sell this shoe um right. it's not because people go oh great that makes it so much easier you know that, right um like because i'm obviously not just here to sell the shoe i don't make my money from selling shoes but it helps in terms of the bottom line that i that I can do that. For but sure. then why shouldn't I be benefiting from that if I'm, like you're saying, helping the person? Like it's actually part of the treatment plan. It's exactly. the mainstay of the treatment plan to get out of the shoes that are causing the issues. Or where do I find the other shoes? It's, right. it's like a needle in a haystack to find the other shoes. You can't just go down to the local shopping mall and get the latest the shoes that I'm suggesting. It's hard to do and it's hard to be fitted and it's hard to, to find someone that does it properly. And so... I'm providing a service that people actually need and that I'd be silly not to because otherwise my treatment plans wouldn't be working because right. they wouldn't get out of their shoes. And that's the mainstay. You must get out of those shoes. That's something that's come to me the last probably two or three months. Like I'm just black and white now. That's it. I, I can give you all the exercises till the cows come home. I can, you can do it. You can stop sitting, but if you're going to stay in those shoes, you're still, you're still going to have issues, you know? Right. And I think this is where um, most modern podiatrists, don't um, take that out of the equation. They don't take the shoe out of the equation. And this is a lot of repeat business because if they're still wearing their shoe, they're still going to have problems. And, I, and what's your feel? Like, I feel they just don't know the shoes are causing the problems. I literally uh, feel like I, they've got, like, they're such smart people. I, in my brain, I'm like, how is this <laughs> even possible? Like, and, it, you know, it's part of that thing that you, you spoke about before. It's like when your salary depends on you not doing better or not digging yeah. deeper and understanding more, Sometimes that can be this unconscious friction where it's like, I don't really want to know, right? I, I, I kind of know. And surely they must, you know, I, I'm always astounded at how potent the programming is when you go into a degree. So when I came out of physio school, I literally had the perspective that the body is flawed. It is designed yeah. to break down. I must help people be put back together. 
And, and it was a very powerful programming because I literally deeply believed that I was like, I paid $10,000 for this degree. They must know what they're talking about. This is obviously the truth. And when you realize that the body's actually built insanely well, it's not built to fall apart. In fact, anything that we, that, that kind of breaks down, is often a user fault It's something that we're doing that we're not supposed to be doing. That was like, that was a really tough realization for me because I was like, wow, what else is not true that I learned? If, that, if that's the base premise that I was operating on and I found that to, be, to not be true in my own life first and then, you know, based on physiology, that makes a lot of sense. Um, then, yeah, I don't know. What are your thoughts? Like, how is, the, how is the shoe part not more talked about? Yeah. So two points. I've come up with the idea um, that I think the podiatry profession is based on the problems that are caused by shoes. Like, there wouldn't be a profession without a heeled cushion running shoe. There wouldn't be a profession without a dress shoe that points toes. Like we wouldn't have to deal with corns, calluses, ingrown toenails unless we put our shoe in, our foot into a shoe that was tight. We would have <laughs> far less running injuries. Like obviously right. running injuries are caused by load, a load management issue, but there'd be far less injuries if we'd never gone into that heeled cushion shoe that was made mm -hmm. like in the late 60s to deal with people with Achilles issues that weren't skilled runners, you know, that had just got right. up from a desk. So I think the profession has grown probably from those late 60s, early 70s because of poor shoes and therefore it's detrimental to the profession to remove the shoes. It's, just, it's like it's always been there. It's the reason why they exist. This is just right. my theory and yeah. um, I'll, I'm sure it'll um, not be popular amongst podiatrists, <laughs> but um, I don't care because it just fits so easy. That answers why they can't see... Would, they still think anyone that think talking about barefoot or going to minimal shoes like hippie it's like why would you think about regressing progress is the shoe you know like um right. it doesn't it just doesn't make any sense to them and a good example is toe spring the thing that's built into the front of a, a modern shoe uh, the um thing that pushes your toes up we um there's there's like an argument on social media at the moment because i think daniel lieberman did a um uh a scientific report on the effect of toe spring. And it was a very low number. The, the scientific, the evidence-based practice around the report is very, um, you know, gray. It's very gray as to how many and it, And so the podiatrists that are defending this idea that toe spring, that like toe spring might cause retraction of the um, tendons on the top of the foot and extension right. of the ones on the bottom and poke the, the metatarsal heads down more because the foot is in an unnaturally elevated at the toe position whenever you're in that shoe. Right. And so, and this study said that, and the people that are defending that are saying, look, the research doesn't show. There's no research that shows this. Uh, this, is, this is where People hide sorry. behind research. They hide yeah. behind research. Yeah. It's like, there's straight the up research. bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> the research is... Um, always compare is never comparing to uh, the null hypothesis that barefoot is best. It's right. having to prove that shoes are wrong now. And so they'll say all that. How can you, like, it's all about the research rather than going, Oh yeah, if the foot's held in this position all the time with the toes retracted and more prep, more um, strain on the plantar tissues. Yeah. That's going to cause an effect. That's there's, there's a cause and there's an effect. Like it's basic 101 try this and it's not you know they'll then they'll say oh that's like when um in summer when people eat ice cream more houses get burgled so when people eat ice cream more houses get burgled right. like, is that, right. like i'm not drawing a long bow here this is a very close 
this is an obvious scenario. And so um, whenever anything comes up against modern footwear, they go straight to the research. Um, and, and that's thin on the ground in terms of um, what they want to see for, you know, big, big case studies and things like that. It is so easy to hide behind research and cherry pick whatever is convenient to support your hypothesis. Yeah. Like it really, it really is quite stunning. Like I went to this um, footwear biomechanics symposium. And so these are the best scientists that are studying the effect of footwear on the biomechanics of the foot. And I go there and I'm walking around barefoot and I have all these insanely smart scientists that are all wearing the worst kinds of footwear you can buy. Like men's dress shoes that are pointed, elevated heel, probably stiff as a two by four. And I got so many weird looks and not one person was wearing, I think it was only I mean, Irene Davis might have been wearing natural footwear, but no one was wearing actual functional footwear that aligns with the biomechanics of the foot. And this is a footwear biomechanics world summit symposium. I was like, yeah. how crazy is it? I feel like I'm in the matrix right now. Like, Welcome this is so weird, <laughs> dude. And it's like hiding behind research is this very fragile argument. It's like, show me the research. They, that, they love to say that. Show me the evidence. Show me the research. It's like... Yeah. How about the burden of proof is on you to show me research that wearing that footwear is better than wearing natural footwear is better than being barefoot. And, and it's like we've, they've, they've just like sneakily flipped the burden of proof to say, prove to me that being barefoot is better than these crazy looking shoes that don't align with human physiology. It's like, I think you're missing the elephant in the room, which is our default state is being interrupted by this weird contraption. And you're saying we need to prove that that we need to prove that our default state is better than the contraption. It's like we have this backwards. Let's rewind like a kilometer and just talk about basic physiology. Let's start the conversation there because if it's just an argument with with who's got better research to support whatever they're trying to prove, that's a really that's a that's like a that's child's play. That's a silly game to play because it's there's never an end and it actually has no meaningful uh, you know it has no meaningful weight to it. So. Yeah. So there's, yeah. um, just on the research stuff, there's um, good research that shows that wearing a minimal shoe or going barefoot increases the muscle size of the intrinsic muscles in the foot. <laughs> As if we need research week, to prove over, that. Over a 12-week period. And, and then um, recently they did some similar research where they looked at an orthotic use for 12 weeks and the muscle size after that. And they decreased in size. And one of the arguments from an established person um, in the industries was, oh, that's because the foot's working more efficiently with the orthotic and therefore the muscles get um, smaller. Um, like, I just think, well, you can <laughs> dress it up. What a, you want oh, it. what a silly <laughs> argument. Wear a robo suit and, and go whittle down yeah. to nothing. And then it's like, oh yeah, that's, that's more efficient. It's like, yeah. that's, what a shitty argument. <laughs> yeah. um, so this is, a, and it's, it should, it makes it into an us versus them thing. And it, it should, I don't want it to be an us versus them thing. Yeah, I just want it to be acknowledged that, that um, the natural foot function is what we should all be aiming for um, rather than adding things to the problem. Yep. I just want it to be acknowledged in that way. Or, or in terms of footwear, we see little kids when they're four or five in little Nikes or Asics or whatever, um, that have got a healed, healed cushion footwear. And so then podiatrists will say, this is, um, so because our body gets used to that, then this is the way they function best when they're an adult. Like, let's just strip it back and not give the kids that shoe. Because right. then we function normally, you know, like they don't go, oh, well, what, maybe the problem is that we give kids that shoe. They just go, oh, we give kids that shoe. So that's why it feels better and is more functional later on. And that's probably true. If you develop from when you're four in a heeled shoe, it's going to be right. harder to 
decrease that ability to, to you know, to be in a healed shoe when you're 34. And so, but they don't say, oh, let's change this for four or five-year-olds. They say, let's just accommodate the same thing forever, basically. Right. Let's fix the problem with more things that facilitate more of the problem. It's yeah. like- Because it's, it's very... a profession that does that, so yeah. And, and I think you made a great point. It's not, a, it's not this like team thing, right? And it develops into that on social media and it develops into that when both people aren't coming from the same place of understanding because really it's about the patient. It's like, we want to get people better. We want to be better at getting people better. That is the goal. Are you on that team? Because if you're not, then we're probably not going to have a good conversation. So there's no point. If you are on that team, perfect. Let's have a meaningful discussion and go into this with good faith, right? Go into this, not trying to prove your position, but actually be open-minded enough to see the other perspective and to determine whether that has any validity before you make a judgment of it. Because if you're automatically in protection mode for orthotics, when you go into a conversation with someone, it's not going to go well, right? And you're not going to learn. The intention should be to learn, not just to defend what your current perspective is. And, you know, the problem is if you're in a, if you're in a echo chamber of podiatrists that are all saying the same thing and you're surrounding yourself all day with the fact that orthotics work and surely people are probably getting benefit from orthotics, right? In the short term, yeah. you know, it's just like, okay, that would be like, okay, when, when I give a cortisone shot, people feel great. I must be doing good. Well, it's weird that I have to get a cortisone shot every three months. Oh, it's weird that they're not working as well. Oh, it's weird that I've created a bunch of tissue gener degeneration from injecting weird shit into people. It's like yeah. when you take the long term and health should always be a long game, it doesn't seem as appealing. And I think it's really easy to ignore that if the money's coming in from the approach you're doing. Yeah. And I just think we have to be honest with ourselves and saying, do we want to help people? Are we open-minded enough to seeing a different perspective and knowing that, the way we're doing things and you know, being wrong is not a bad thing. This is like this really powerful thing with the ego of health professionals is so robust. And I really wish that people were just open-minded to say like, if you're never wrong, you're never learning. Do you want to learn? And it's like, if you don't want to learn, well then you can stay in your, in your area until you get turned obsolete. But if you do, let's all work together because if we put our brains together, we're going to do a way better job. Yeah. So, in terms of business, um, if if you are in a multi um, practitioner practice, you know, uh, then I and that's where it didn't work for me because I had this feeling when a new patient came in that didn't know the practice was just coming to the podiatrist and saw one podiatrist doing a totally different thing to the other podiatrist that can't go on like you can't have that situation because um, in terms of the business of podiatry that um, it just is not uh, it's not fair on the clients mm -hmm. they, they can't even change from one practitioner within the same practice to the other because they're so differently aligned. So yep. if you're going to have a multi-practice podiatry practice, multi-practitioner podiatry practice, you need to have people all on the same page. And, you know, I'm really busy now and I think about employing someone else, but I need to have someone um, who is on the same page as me. They, they cannot be um, telling people that I would have seen if I was here, something that I wouldn't be telling them, you know, like yep. going down there. And so, and that, that's a very gray area as well because you, you, as a boss or as a manager, you, sh you shouldn't be t really having to manage how a professional is behaving, you know, or right. how they're going down things. So that's a r really gray area. Like I'm lucky because I'm on my own, but if I keep getting so busy, then I'll, I probably will have to add someone else and they'll have to be aligned with me, you know? So um, that's a tough situation. Yeah. And I think that's where, you know, when we create this new community and there's a website, I think that's where the manifesto comes in because literally all you have to do is be like, 
go to naturaldietary.com, read the manifesto. If that aligns with you, let's work together. And that's yeah. literally it. Like it's, and then that is a sort of document that is there to refer back to so that if they sort of veer off, not intentionally, but just sort of revert back to what they were trained to do, you can say like, well, this is how we have to look at things. And I think it's a really easy way to align a group of people. And I think the whole natural podiatry community when it comes together will be a great way to connect like-minded podiatrists. Like say there's another podiatrist in uh, Melbourne that you didn't even know about that is part of that community. Like that's a perfect alignment to be able to work together in, in a joint practice. And so I think it'll do a really good job at sort of filtering out the right people and then connecting those like-minded people together to either, you know, bounce ideas off each other or to actually work together, which I, you know, you, you see that with the foot nerd program where like Georgina and Claire didn't even yeah. know each other. And turns out they both live in Melbourne and they both have the same dog. And like, it's yeah. like, and they're, they're like great friends now and they've collaborated on a few things. So, um, it's, you know, yeah, I, yeah. like you said before, um, you know, the best situation would be when there's 20 of you in the practice and you go, Hey, I, and you have, Hey, I, I explained it this way. And it would really, really yeah. was, you know, with this type of client, this is a great way of explaining this. And I see the natural podiatry group uh, as um, something where that can happen on a global scale or, yep. you know, where you're just coming into a space where you can help each other out um, mm -hmm. in terms of um, this ground that is un unusual for podiatrists. There's not a, a set down, like it's, we're sort of trailblazing. And right. um, if there's a group of you, then, it fit, then you can bounce ideas off each other and you all grow and get better that way. Definitely, yeah. And I think there's something to be said about uh, collective content creation as well. So, uh, you know, creating digital content for uh, patients to be able to access for free on the, on the community yeah. website. When you get 20 different people contributing different or same ideas, but said differently, and they record, you know, five, 10 minute videos that anyone can watch, even other podiatrists in the community, that becomes this massive repository of data to help people help themselves at home, but also build an interest that, oh, this is the approach they're taking. I wanna go see that person to get some more personalized care. And so I think, you know, back to the whole thing that you're talking about and making it more efficient. How do I become more efficient in what I'm doing? Well, you know, if you have an iPad in, uh, you know, in the reception area and someone's waiting to see you and they can watch a 10 minute primer on footwear or 10 minute primer on natural foot health, like they come in to see you with a bit of an understanding where you no longer need that 10 minutes to give them the general stuff. You yeah. can give them the more specific stuff. I think there's some powerful efficiencies that technology can create if it's used correctly, not as a replacement for human interaction, but as a, as an efficiency booster for the human time. It just allows you to spend the human time on, on personalized um, care instead of generalized stuff. Yeah. And um, I've noticed that, well, you know, you did something on YouTube about plantar fascia, plantar fasciopathy or plantar fascia pain. And um, it's been really good. Like I'll speak to someone for an hour about it. And then I'm like, you know, this is a lot of information. Just watch this YouTube video because this summarizes it all in like 10 to 12 minutes in a very, right. it will just bring you back to those things that I said, mm -hmm. you know, so I've been able to use that. And I think that's something like you've just mentioned where we can have these um, as a group come up with these ways of explaining it that can be accessed, accessed by all those people to help with their clients. And I know the, in terms of efficiency that when I see someone that knows what I'm about when they come and see me rather than people that are coming in like raw, coming mm -hmm. in just because I'm a podiatrist on the corner, um, that makes my job a whole lot harder. Whereas when they're coming in because the osteo referred them saying, oh, Andy's going to help you in this way or because their friend said, oh, this is, oh, you know, I'm wearing these shoes because I saw Andy and, and this is what he's on about. When those people come in, my job is so much easier because they're already primed. 
to right. understand what I'm, what I'm going to be talking about. Yeah. That's a great way of putting it primed because you're right. You don't have to convince them that this is no. the best way. They, they, yeah, they already know. <laughs> yeah. I hate having to convince them because then I feel like I'm selling something and, and education shouldn't be about convincing. It should just be about explaining what's going on. And, um, the, if I feel like I'm convincing them, then I think this is not, I, I'm not getting through, you know, I shouldn't have to right. convince them, but it does feel like that because it's, it's telling them that ASICs or Brooks or Nike aren't good for their feet. Like they come and say, oh, I wear these shoes all the time as though that's why, like I, I shouldn't be having pain because I wear these shoes all the time. Like it's such a big jump for them to, for me to say these shoes are a big part of the issue because it's, these are right. trusted brands. It's like saying, yeah. you know, a fish, your Fisher and Paykel, dishwasher is causing you food poisoning, you know, like no one would, no one would ever go, that's crazy. Like <laughs> my ASICs are causing me foot pain. I got them to stop my foot pain. You know, That's like, a great analogy. It's so wacky yeah, when you talk about it from that perspective. Analogies I was thinking of um, in terms of, you know, food, it's like when we say with um, fruit and veg and drinking water and things like that, like it's such a, a normal thing. And so for podiatrists to say, that barefoot is bad or going into a minimal shoe is bad or it's not an option. It's like saying that the latest health supplement is better than, and is better than like natural, healthy, fresh food. Okay. So like taking a tablet is better than that's full of iron is better than eating, um, you know, red meat and green veggies. For example, just, um, I'm not a nutritionist, but generally (laughs) And, and so, um, it's, it's for a podiatrist to say that it's wrong. You know, you won't say a nutritionist, you won't see a nutritionist saying that um, red meat and green health leafy veg, veggies aren't the best way to increase your um, iron. They won't, they won't say, oh, here's the supplement. Or they might say, here's a supplement, but this is the best way. This is like, this is the natural way. For a podiatrist, there's no, there's no mention of the natural way. It's just, here's right. the supplement. Or with sleep, you know, here's a tablet to help you sleep. Or here are five different ways that will help you get a better sleep that is a natural way, you know, removing the things that stop you sleeping. And so you won't see a podiatrist saying, here are the five things to help you with um, getting good natural sleep. You'll just say, here's the sleeping tablet. Basically, modern shoes and orthotics are the sleeping tablet for feet. That's That's a great analogy. And you're right. I think, you know, we don't, I mean, we're simply telling the truth in terms of what we feel about orthotics. Yeah. They talk shit about natural footwear. Like it's yeah. very, it's so polarizing for them, yeah. right? It's not, and even worse, it's like, okay, well, you got the tablet and you got the real food. It's yeah. like, not only are they selling you the tablet without even mentioning good food, when you're like, what about carrots? No, 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 you don't want that. That's terrible. That's terrible. Don't go near those things. Yeah. Here's the tablet. It's like, it's so well, crazy. Oh, what about if I turn my screens off an hour before I go to bed? No, you don't need to do that. No. You don't need to turn your screens off. Keep your screens on and just take the tablet. Leave your shoes on and just use the orthotic. Yeah, exactly. And even if you do get natural shoes, still put the orthotic in there. Yeah. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, as a whole, it seems like the current model, the, the mainstream model, and this is not all podiatrists, but this is probably the bulk, is yeah. reactionary and yeah. treatment-based. So you're reacting to problems that are already developed and then you're providing a treatment for the problems that are there without really getting deep enough to find out why the problem is there in the first place. And natural podiatry, instead of being reactionary, it's prevention-based. So you're trying to prevent problems from developing by dealing with the root cause. And then instead of treatment-based, where you're doing in-person treatments, it's really just education. 
right? Education is the treatment. The, the lifestyle changes and the habit changes that people need to make, which includes, you know, the a behavior people do is wear footwear. The type of footwear has a significant impact on your foot health. Um, you know, so prevention and uh, education-based. And so let's brief, briefly go through sort of products and services. We talked about the current model products and services. Let's talk about the new model products and services. And, and, you know, my take is that the primary product is footwear because yeah. that is like it's – the deeper you go, and I found this with other areas too, like especially for food and, and for sleep as well, the deeper you go in the complexity and really the nitty gritty of a topic, the more you start to realize how simple the, how simply you can explain something. And like really, shoes cause all foot problems. Like I, I really believe that they are the primary cause. If you fix the shoes, you fix 80% of the reason that people develop 80% of foot pain. Like it's just, it literally is that simple. And I think that that product offering um, can be done and, and can be a significant revenue source, right? Like if you're, you know, one way that I've seen a conflict of interest before, even a well-intentioned one was a, um, a place was sell, I think it was a dietary clinic was selling footwear. And because it was covered by insurance, a shoe you could buy for $200 at the store, they were selling for $280. So if you're selling it for more, than other than than the stores even if it's a good piece of footwear that can be a conflict but if you're selling better footwear for the same as the retail or even a tiny bit cheaper um and and you're giving them an end-to-end -end experience showing them why that footwear is better how to sort of integrate that into their life um then i think that is the primary product revenue stream and is actually a very ethical and an alignment of interest um avenue what are your thoughts yeah i, I agree it's um, it, it replaces the the orthotic if that's right. what you need to replace in your business. It is an orthotic. It's an anti-orthotic. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Well, an orthotic just needs to help function. So a minimal shoe is is an orthotic of sorts because it helps function. You know, like right. eye, eyeglasses are an orthotic. So, um, but we're talking obviously foot orthoses here. But um, and, and they'll need a new pair every year as well. And this can be a chance for you to check in with their foot health and how they're going. Yep. And um, and so there's your repeat customer if you need a repeat customer, you know, and um, that is definitely the way to um, increase your revenue to run business, basically. Right. Yeah. To, by, run, to run a viable business. It has to, to be viable. Yeah. Yep. So, at, so you have the footwear. That's a big part. And then I feel like there's also, you know, the accessory and equipment, uh, you know, things to restore your foot function, like spreaders or mobility balls, and then things to develop your foot function, things like, a, a you know, potentially a balance beam um, or anything that helps build more robustness, right? Like, um, you know, like we're going to make, we're making these FC.5 shoes, and this is basically yeah. the most pure type of footwear. So, you know, the way I look at that is it's actually not about the shoe at all. That gives people something that lets them get as close as possible to barefoot while still going outside. So if someone, you know, spending, you got that challenge going on right now, we're spending 30 minutes a day barefoot outside. If someone is just like, I cannot, I, I am not comfortable spending time barefoot. Well, it's like, okay, well, here's a $50 shoe that you yeah. can put over your foot that basically allows you to go barefoot. It is as fraction um, is as small of a separation from pure barefoot as possible. You know, that I see as, um, something that allows them to get closer to their optimal function. So I think there's a lot on the product side um, yeah. that presents a very compelling option where it's not even about the products. It's about that is the tool people need to implement the health advice that you're giving them. And, and, yeah. and that is the tool they need to take back responsibility really is what it is.
And I am, am at the moment advocating for this book called Older Yet Faster, which is a running um, technique book. And it mm-hmm. basically takes you from not running or being injured. It takes you from being injured in a um, through a whole um, range to being able to run in a minimalist shoe. Like it's, it, you have to be in minimalist shoes to follow this program, to mm. run naturally. And so even that, like instead of someone coming to see me over and over again for running training, I give them this book and then I act as a resource for them. And they make sure. That's amazing. And like, I don't give them the book. They buy the book from me. I make profit from that book. So this is another resource that gives them a chance to take ownership of their own, of their own problem. You know, like if they want to learn how to run naturally, if they want to um, get rid of their problems, they follow this book to the letter and they'll be fine. You know, Mm -hmm. Um, that's the confidence I have in it. And that's the confidence I hopefully give them because I'm, advocating for this book and, and telling them to sell it, uh, to buy it. And so one, I, yes, I make money out of it. And two, I am confident in the product that I'm providing. And three, I'm not going anywhere. I'm a resource. Like if they need me along the journey, right. that's when they pop back in, you know, and people are surprised because I say, I want you to go away for two or three weeks and see how this all settles in. And then give me a call when you're ready to progress. And sometimes they don't call. And I call them and say, how are you going? And they're going along really, really well. Or mm-hmm. sometimes they go, you look, it's all too hard. Or other times they call and say, like a lot of times they call and say, okay, I'm ready to go to the next step. Or how am I going? And sometimes it's just a phone call. And I need to probably monetize that to some extent because in the end, I'll just end up chatting on the phone for five minutes to a whole lot of people. Um, <laughs> right. And that will take up a whole day of my week. And that's not efficient work um, in terms of business. But right. um the trust that you gain from saying to someone, call me when you're ready, you know, or if you want to be kept accountable, we can book in for two in two weeks time. But if, if you're right to do this, let's just see how you go. You know, like, like that's a huge um, game changer for people. And they're shocked that I'm not just trying to book them in again for right. you know, more and more treatment. I'm not trying to sell them how to mobilize their ankle. They're mobilizing. I'm teaching them how to mobilize it themselves. If they have trouble, use me as a resource. If I'm not trying to teach them how to run every week for the next 10 weeks, which is a good business model, you know, like that's a a worthwhile thing. I'm not saying don't do that. Mm -hmm. It's still helpful to the person, but um, to really get people on side, I give them my full trust that I'm, that I'm here for them basically, you know, like, yeah. And I think that's empowering for them and for me. I agree. And I think, you know, it almost brings up a couple things, you know, uh, and, a different revenue stream in a podiatry practice would be to bring in someone that can do running technique coaching or can do yes. a once, once a week running club where people will yeah. come, they'll pay for a package to see this person for, you know, every two weeks for, for four visits or something like that. Yeah. Um, and I, I also think there's something to be said about, you know, like when you said they're going to need another pair of shoes anyway, it yeah. really made me think of sort of this, um, you know, like almost a membership offering. Uh, with a podiatrist. So you pay X amount of dollars as a membership. What you get from that is you get, um, you know, a full appointment, you get, um, you know, a couple follow-up calls spaced throughout the year and you get a pair pair of footwear and you get a pair of shoes at, uh, at cost. So you're not, I mean, the shoes aren't included, but whatever you pay for the shoes is what they pay. And so they literally are getting an outlet to get shoes significantly cheaper, but they're getting them from someone who understands the foot deeply, who understands footwear requirements. And I think, You know, that That's gives brilliant. you a way to, because that, yeah. that gives you a way to just have one transaction. You know, it's X amount of dollars. It's $500. Yeah. 
And in that includes two 15 minute calls throughout the year. If you want more calls, then you can literally just go online, add a call to your card. It's 15 minutes and we just schedule that in. And I think doing that allows you to, to make the schedule in advance. Like basically you have, okay. And, and that makes it really clean too, in terms of how much income do you need per month to pay for your OHEAD and to pay for a living? Well, okay, divide that by what the, the monthly amortized value of a membership is. That's how many patients I need in my caseload to live a good, meaningful life without feeling overworked. And, you know, is that reasonable, right? If that's too many people to see per day on average, then increase the price. And you find a middle ground where it's like, yeah. this is enough for me to make enough money. And if I want another podiatrist to come in, I know exactly the metric for how many patients they should be taking and what they make. And that, that makes it so clean and so transparent as well, because you can rationalize, you could say, this is what we offer. This is what you get. This is why we do it this way. And like, it would be a no brainer if I was the patient, I'd be like, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So it's stuff like that, where if you have a think tank of natural podiatrists and maybe once a month there's a Zoom call and everyone's like, okay, well, what model are you using? What, what, what ways of doing business are you using? And, and, you know, like basically put it in the blender, put all these different perspectives in a blender. And then eventually people are like, wow, that's a really good way of doing it. I'm going to try that. Yeah. And I think when you have this community of people who are all pushing each other in the right direction to develop and innovate and do things differently um, and give their personal experience and stories to be able to help others um, yeah. kind of see that as well. That's a, that's a very powerful thing that, that kind of emerges from a, a community of people that are aligned and like-minded and have this share the fundamental beliefs where the, the, the actual details of how they do those things might be different. But if the fundamental beliefs are shared and people go into these things with good faith, you can get some really great ideas coming out of, of, of places that you never would have expected. Yeah. So. And, you know, go, look, and what goes around comes around. You give and, and you know, just um, everyone's putting in. And right. Yeah. yeah. So I think that, so that's the product side. And then obviously on the service side, it's, you know, the check-in calls, the education, being able to provide online content for people to be able to use. So I think there's, you know, people need, and I think there is something to be said about accountability, right? Like if you, if someone bought that book and you said, listen, you know, how, how many, when do you plan to read this, right? Like yeah. even going nitty gritty into the behavior design, it's like, are you going to read this, you know, 20 minutes a day? Or are you going to read it an hour per week? And if they're like, okay, I plan to read it, you know, an hour every Saturday morning. Perfect. Yeah. Well, in about four weeks, you'll probably be done the first two chapters. Do yeah. you want to schedule a brief 30 minute appointment to kind of talk about what you've learned to review how to implement it and to determine whether that was a realistic reading goal? Like that kind of accountability is very, yeah. very powerful because it's very simple. Um, and maybe that's a 30 minute call, right? That they, that they pay you for pay for your time. Um, but I think that's a really, it puts the onus on them to be like, well, I got to read this because I'm going to see Andy and I got to tell him what I learned. So I got to, I got to do this. Right. And I think something like that is necessary for some people that aren't used to taking that response, that responsibility and aren't used to really digging into something, right? Like having, having a reason for why they're learning that. Um, so that's an option as well for on the yeah, service this, side. This style of work, this um, natural podiatry is um, at the moment fitting people that really want want it, you know, they are motivated. Right. They, they are very, um, they're keen to do the work, you know, so mm -hmm. they, they come because they're that type of person. But right. the more we see, and especially the people that are just walking off the street that are expecting more of a product that's going to fix things for them, then I need to, we need to build that accountability in for, for them because not everyone is that motivated. Yeah, that's a mm -hmm. really good idea.
And it's almost like if you did get, let's call it a junior podiatrist, someone that just graduated from school, maybe their initial role is as like a triage person to work with you so that basically a person from the street that that's, let's call it raw, like you said before, um, comes in, they spend 20 minutes with that junior podiatrist and the junior podiatrist just explains to them the natural approach. Like, this is how we do things. This is why we do it this way. They sharpen up their ability to explain that simply. And then the person gets sent to you um, you know, after that, and then you, you do the more personalized stuff and maybe they come in with you so that they can learn from the way you do things. But like, there's so many, like if you created an hour long podcast of just like filled with the exact things that people are coming, these notions that people are coming in with and how to sort of, you know, give them a different perspective in a way that doesn't tell them you're right, but just gives them the understanding of this is why the natural approach is so much more potent. And this is why it's going to help you so much long-term you know, have that junior podiatrist listen to that relentlessly and get really good at explaining it and just be a master at in 20 minutes explaining, this is why the natural approach is sustainable. This is why we do it this way. And this is what you can expect from today's visit. After we chat, we're going to go see Andy and then he's going to, he's going to dig deeper into your personal, um, you know, into your personal reason why you're coming here. Like that would be super powerful and very efficient, I think. Yeah. So lots of potential, right? Like, and it was funny before we even did the call, you're like, I'm, I, I, I'm still getting used to this. I'm still in the transition. And I don't think you'll ever feel like you're out of the transition because if the goal is always to get better, you're never at a destination and you're never reaching the end point, right? You're always on the, on the journey to, to improve your service delivery, to improve your offering to people and give them more value. So, um, yeah, I mean, the, the business model will be very dynamic because like you said, it's, sort of like you're blazing a trail, right? Like you're chopping, hacking through the dense forest because no one's gone there before. And, you know, every other person that comes through there afterwards is going to clear that even more so that by the end you have a really clean path. And and that path essentially acts as an on-ramp for podiatrists who want to get off the freeway of orthotics and want to take a different path to the more natural approach. Yeah. So amazing. Well, Andy, thank you for the time. Um, I know it's late there. And, uh, you know, thanks for, thanks for sharing your time at the end of the day. Cause I'm sure you had a big day. And, and like you said, you have a big week from all the appointments that you got booked. So, um, any final words you want to say before we kind of close up? I think that wraps it up pretty well, Nick. Um, and I, but, but I would say that it's not for everyone. Like I, I don't expect to, like, I don't want to be negative, but I don't expect to change the whole profession of podiatry, but I want no. to see this as a legitimate option for podiatrists that people yep. can be confident in, for, in, go, in following that way. Um, like because not every client wants this approach either. So, but it, it may be, become a branch of podiatry that they teach at uni, who knows? But like that would be my far-fetched view of, and it's not that far-fetched, of actually having something at university where, they actually, where the students understand that this is an option for them, you know? Like right. if, it, if it was, pub, if they had to go public, and wound care and private sports podiatry, private routine care, um, just to name a few of the different fields of podiatry, you know, and nursing homework, and there's natural podiatry as well. This is a way that is a legitimate way to practice as a podiatrist. Like that, that's my vision, you know, to um, yep. see that, that, that this is a legitimate way um, that people can feel fine about, that they're not just like the black sheep, you know. <laughs> Yes. And it's, it's basically just give an outlet for those who have that little itch that they're like, I think I want, I'd like to try another way, or this doesn't resonate with me. Kind of like what you had, you know, give them an outlet to have a community that will welcome them, that will help 
teach them what they know that will present a viable business model and so that they can do what you've been doing, but with less friction. And I think um, it's funny because as the public becomes better informed, I think that group of patients that resonate with this and the group of podiatrists who, who see an interest in this um, it will, will grow, will grow and grow and grow. And I think, like you said, if you're the only podiatrist doing natural podiatry in Melbourne, that's a shitload of business because there's not really, you know, like you, you become a person who is specialized in the way that podiatry should be done. <laughs> yeah. But there's two, there's two yeah. or three others and that's it, you know? So, right. yeah. Cool. There's a lot of people. <laughs> Amazing. Yes. A lot of people, a lot of foot problems and there's definitely no shortage of people who need help. So, um, like we said, the natural podiatry community will be is, is sort of on its way. It's growing very, it's kind of being put together slowly, but start of the new year, we'll have something to kick off. Um, if, you're, if you're a podiatrist listening to this, uh, if you email uh, futureofpodiatry at gmail.com, we can put you on an update list to send you um, updates via email. Um, we got two more episodes in this four episode series. So the next one is going to be, we'll dig into footwear. And then the final one, we'll dig into orthotics. And maybe we'll do a fifth one to kind of wrap things up. And that will be maybe the, uh, the official launch podcast for the natural podiatry community. Because I think, um, you know, as we do these, I'm sure it's happening for you. It's definitely happening for me. I'm kind of sharpening up my idea of what, yeah. of, of, you know, the manifesto or the practice guidelines um, and what this community actually looks like. And I think, you know, we've got a, experience, a bit of experience at TFC with designing communities with the Footner program and Beam Tribe. So I think we have a good base to work off of. And um, yeah, if you're listening to this, whether you're, uh, you know, a podiatrist or non-podiatrist, we hope that the information was valuable and helpful. And uh, we'll catch you in the next episode in about a month or so. See you later. See ya.